Welcome to That's What She Did. This is one of your hosts, T, along with Michelle Talbert, and we're coming to you every day during the month of March to bring you these stories of inspiring everyday Wonder Women that you've probably never heard of. So grab a mimosa and buckle in. We're about to begin. Hey, T. How are you doing today? I'm good, Michelle. How are you? I am awesome. Welcome, listeners, to this episode of That's What She Did. I'm Michelle Talbert. And I'm Tangier Renee. And welcome back. We are really happy to have you. We are continuing our series of profiling one woman, and in some cases, a group of women, um, yes. per day, for <laughs> per weekday for the month of March 2018 for Women's History Month and Honor of Women's History Month. And we are bringing you everyday Wonder Women, badass women, women who have passed, women who are in the present. And today we are bringing you Maggie Lena Walker. She is the first African-American woman bank president. Nice. And guess when she was born? No idea. 1867. 1867. Yes, in Richmond, Virginia, the home of the Confederacy. <laughs> no kidding. That had to have been rough, man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And she had a quote. I am of the opinion that if we can catch the vision, in a few years, we shall be able to enjoy the fruits from this effort and its attendant responsibilities through untold benefits reaped by the youth of the race. That is a quote, actually, from her philanthropic work, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. But I'm going to start with, after Reconstruction, right, which is when she was born, mm -hmm. she lived in dire poverty. And like most African-American um, of the time, again, being in Richmond, Virginia, in the Deep South, her mom, um, who had been a house slave for a wealthy woman, made sure that her daughter attended school. So Maggie went to school. Her mom, you know, after emancipation, was a domestic. And, um, you know, Maggie went on to graduate from high school at 16 and started teaching, uh, which is interesting because wow. I think as we talk about some of these women who were born in the latter years of slavery or right after emancipation around Reconstruction, so many African-American women taught. So many of them became teachers. So do and, you think that's because of the, since they, they weren't allowed to have education, um, prior to that or mm -hmm. was that the only industry available to them or both i think it's a little bit of both i mean we we did have midwifery right you could yeah midwife, you could be a domestic the teaching piece of it was really coming from the ethos of each one teach one right so if i get an education and i go back to my community and then i can teach more and more people and you know the whole up uplift of the race a lot of that we have the w.e.b du bois booker t washington split right you're mm -hmm. going to focus on agriculture or you're going to focus on academia and yeah. so that's what we see you you know we go one or the other of the ways and since we didn't get our 40 acres and a mule everybody couldn't focus on agriculture right yeah. so um i think that's a big part of it was you know the mixture of it being illegal to learn to read 
and then being able to then have that legality and be able to do it and then come back and teach your family, the children, the adults, you know, um, I think was a big part of our culture. It still permeates a lot of our culture and that you get a education education is old is seen at, and i actually posted this on facebook like today or yesterday education knowledge is the one thing no one can take from you once you yeah. have once you've acquired it yeah no it's seen as the equalizer it it's the the one chance all right and yeah. it's something you can you can take away someone's property you can take away my paper degree but you can't take away the quote-unquote education that i got behind that degree mm-hmm. right so I think that's part of it, too. And just in terms of African-Americans, middle class African-Americans looking to become um, accepted by society, whatever that looked like, education was always a big part of that. So teaching is something that if it's in your heart to uplift the race again, you're going to try to spread that. I think that's where a lot of that came from. I could be wrong. So listeners, if you have thoughts on it, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at that's what she did podcast at gmail.com. Did I work that in so smoothly? Okay. So good. <laughs> So after graduating from high school, she did start teaching. And again, she was 16. Um, But then she accepted a job as a secretary at the Independent Order of St. Luke's Society of Richmond. It assisted sick and elderly members and paid for burial and funeral services. Wow. In 1899, so she's, what, 32 years old, she was named a secretary treasurer of that same organization. And under her direction, the order increased its membership tremendously by encouraging other Black women to manage and save their money. Mm. On behalf of the order, she acquired a $100,000 office building. Increased the staff to 55 people and established a bank that became the Consolidated Bank and Trust Company. She served as chairman of the board and became the first woman in the United States. Woman, woman, not Mm -hmm. not African-American, first woman in the United States to direct the bank. Wow. But like I said at the quote at the beginning of this talk about Miss Walker, she was always lending a helping hand. Remember, she was a teacher um, and she was always trying to help Black people, especially impoverished Black people in Richmond. She was first to start a number of businesses, including an insurance company, a Black newspaper, and a school and home for delinquent girls. She promoted the establishment of a community center that provided better health care for African-Americans and continued to serve on the boards of many civic groups. And as I mentioned his name, which is interesting, she was a great admirer of Booker T. Washington, Mm -hmm. and she took his advice to heart, which was, quote, cast down your bucket where you are, as he said to all African-Americans, and Mm -hmm. she did. Um, Her achievements didn't only serve to benefit the people of Virginia, but enhanced the entire city of of Richmond as well as the the surrounding states and areas. And a street and theater and a high school are all named after her in Richmond. And what was interesting was I first heard of her in a Washington Post article like a year or two ago. So I'm excited because they put up a statue when one of the Confederate statues came down in Richmond. They're nice. putting up a statue of Miss Walker um, in its stead, which is, is pretty cool. Um, and I think it's really important to think about that from the commerce perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Because she's 
born right after reconstruction, during reconstruction. And her mom, who was a slave, you know, who was enslaved, made sure that she got her education. And I think that comes up a lot in a lot of these episodes that we're doing. Um, not only when we talk about the past, but even in the present, it is again that 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 sense of community about even if I can't be quote unquote whatever my best looks like financially, I'm gonna do my best to make sure my children are. Right. Mm-hmm. And just trying to push that next generation, whether it's sending our nieces and nephews up north to get an education or whatever the family, the community, people come together and band together to take care of that next generation. And because of that, the next generation thrives. And what I love is that each of these women give back in their own ways. And, you know, aside from making lots of money, she made sure that people, number one, made money as individuals, but then also you know, opening a home for quote unquote delinquent girls, you know, that's Mm -hmm. a big deal. So I I just, I really like her. I really do. I really do. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a historically important time. Mm -hmm. Um, What, and for her to be doing it at that time and to not have, I mean, I'm I'm thrilled and all that she's got a statue, right. Mm -hmm. But to not have, more recognition yeah. for her contributions because again like to your point it's not the the story of well here's a a black woman that did something it's here's a woman who happened to be black and the first <laughs> yeah that did the first thing this this thing that was the first thing a woman had ever done in this country and that is r- super important on many many levels and so, like every, you know, every time we talk about someone, I'm like, how come we don't know <laughs> about this person? Yeah, it's really interesting. But um, I think part of it has just gotten to the point, and I really realized this when I took my first African-American history class in college, mm-hmm. is that it just becomes our own responsibility to learn. Yeah. If we don't know what we don't know, but we can find out. And it just falls on us to educate ourselves, educate one another, educate our children. Mm -hmm. You know, I know around Kwanzaa, when our kids were growing up, we did a lot around education and and helping them learn things about their culture. And, you know, my kids are Afro-Latina and Latino. (laughs) Um, And, you know, just making sure that they knew where they came from and, and knew something of their history, something about themselves. Um, And I think it's really important that we stop depending on outside forces to teach us about ourselves. Because there's a couple of quotes about this, but if you expect the oppressor to teach you about yourself, you're really sadly mistaken. So whether that's because you're a person of color or because you're outside of the um, quote unquote mainstream white male ethos in some Mm -hmm. type of way, to expect the white male establishment to teach you about yourself, you put your expectations in the wrong place. Yeah, absolutely agree. I hope, you know, if, if we take anything away from this podcast, even if there's, if there's never another episode or there's never another season, it's that, right? That we're in a time where we have more access to information Mm -hmm. than we've ever had. And so I hope we're using it, right? To, dig into who we are and you know through all of these stories i think we learn a lot about 
being a powerful woman, being the kind of woman that lives their life out loud and doesn't shrink herself. Um, and through these stories, we're able to also learn a lot about ourselves and where we come from and grab onto that, right? And not let it be a passing moment, um, but really bring that into our lives. And so I hope, if anything, that you're inspired to keep learning and keep digging and grow from it. Or Miss Walker passed away in 1934 at the ripe old age, or actually young age, of 67. Um, but in those 67 years, man, she did, she she did, did a lot. She did a lot. So thank you for tuning into this episode. We will catch you on the next episode of That's What She Did. I am Michelle Talbert. I'm Tanji Renee. Thank you for joining us. And don't forget to subscribe and sharing is caring, y'all. Let your sisters know. Word. See you next time. Bye. Bye. You just heard an episode of That's What She Did, bringing you stories of incredible women doing incredible things. Make sure you join us again tomorrow as we bring you the deets on another everyday Wonder Woman to inspire you on your journey. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Oh. And make sure you share it with your friends. Spread the love. Bye.